There is a fully automated McDonald's that opened up in Texas in 2022. There's a fully automated cafe in Toronto. So is this going to be the way that the fast food industry is going to move forward? Is this going to be the way that other industries move forward? We're going to get into it right now with uh, our guest who's at the Centre for International Governance Innovation Senior Fellow and founder and CEO of Tehama, which we'll define in just a second once we start having a conversation with him. Paul Valet is joining me. Paul, thank you so much for making the time. Thanks, Chelsea. I think it's so interesting to to really take a look at our labor market and the jobs that are now automated and start to think about where that could go. I mean, obviously, I mean, we've made some huge technological advancements, I think, in the last in the last at least just even the last few years. But I'm wondering if we can look at certain industries, Paul, and imagine that they are going to become fully automated, like the fast food industry, which we're already seeing some restaurants moving towards a full automation. Do you think that that's something that we're going to see in the near future? I think the McDonald's trend line is just going to continue. To give you an idea, in 2018, McDonald's employed over 1.9 million people in the U.S. And in Canada, we roughly 10% of that. So call it uh, 190,000 people. Today, it employs under 1.4. So half a million jobs already gone in only four years in the United States. And what's happening, the reason I think that trend is going to continue, obviously this uh, investment of this new store in Texas is uh, uh, is not, it might be the first, but it's far from going to be the last Mm. of these kinds of investments. And um, what's happening that I think is really interesting is that these these, uh, automation investments, obviously, these are wonderful. Automation can be wonderful for society, but it's also breaking rungs on our social ladder. And I don't think any of us, uh, you know, made it through high school without uh, either working at a McDonald's or having a best friend who worked at McDonald's. And that's a really important, um, you know, chapter in our teens' lives that builds self-esteem, it, uh, obviously funds their pocketbook. And um, we need to think about how we're going to organize our society to, you know, make sure that we don't break um, rungs on our social ladder. Yeah, I mean, not to mention, if we're talking about half a million jobs being cut, I mean, realistically, not all of those are teenagers. I mean, some of those are people that are trying to make ends meet for their families or, uh, you know, certainly I think when we think about some of the jobs that are going to be automated, it's people that are are newcomers to the country or maybe just don't have the same opportunities as others. And I think what you're talking about and thinking about how this is going to really affect people's lives is a really important question before we continue to move so far forward that we can't go back. Absolutely. And, and it's not only coming for these entry-level minimum wage jobs. I mean, another huge thing that's happening right now is this massive uh, uh, progress in artificial intelligence with tools like ChatGPT. Sure. And I'm sure that many of members of your audience have played with this tool. Interestingly enough, ChatGPT might come for computer scientists first. And uh, if not computer scientists, professional writers or other kinds of uh, uh, creative work uh, like social media management or travel agency work uh, is uh, definitely in the crosshairs of those kinds of AI investments. Wanna... And again, you know, is our society ready to ingest this much automation that fast? Yeah, and it feels like it's happening really rapidly. And I want to talk a little bit more about some of the industries that most that, that will be the most affected. But I wonder, Paul, what you say to the people that suggest that automation will will create jobs. It will just create different jobs. So, you know, maybe more people that are doing um, computer programming or, or engineering. What do you say to that argument? Well, um, history has shown that automation has, in general, in aggregate and over the longer term, been outstandingly good for society. Certainly our standard of living now 
when compared to the standard of living of what it was like to be here in 1850, for example, is, uh, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of where we were at. And a lot of that we owe to automation. The challenge is the speed of automation. Is Are we ready to, for example, let's imagine these self-driving cars, uh, you know, 400,000 workers in Canada work as professional drivers. Are we ready to accept that 400,000 you know, of these uh, uh, professional drivers now need to find work simultaneously? And, and what work do we hope that they will do that will pay them as well as their truck driving or taxi driving or whatever jobs? And that's the real challenge to our society. It's not whether automation is good or not. Uh, our real challenge is how do we make sure that everybody is okay as we transition to this, you know, I- ideally continued uh, post-scarcity development mm-hmm. of, our, of our economy? Yeah, I mean, especially because I think doing something like a a large move to automation creates, I think, just so much disparity and so much distance between the people that are making money off of it and the people that have lost their jobs. I mean, this must be an incredibly lucrative move for a business to make. I mean, the cost savings alone to go fully automated must be incredible. Yeah, and and in so doing, it also shifts the balance of power from labor towards capital. And obviously, we need to maintain that balance so that, you know, people continue to have hope that they can work hard, be brilliant, uh, uh, and uh, and then as a result, you know, be able to achieve a, a good lifestyle for themselves and for their family, and you know, uh, have enough to save for retirement and all of these things that are a big part of our uh, social contract here in Canada. So, when we think about some of the industries that might be looking at uh, at job loss due to automation, what are some of those that you think might happen first or most um, most significantly? Well, certainly, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of these kinds of McDonald's-like investments in, in robotics. And so robotics matters a lot. Uh, th- those cashiers that you're interacting with at the entrance of a McDonald's, you can think of that as a robot. It's taking a job away from a person. It's something that you physically interact with as a customer. But AI is going to be faster than that, um, you know, because it's not even a thing that you need to interact with anymore. And it might amplify your productivity, but it will also break rungs in the social ladder. A good example of that is, for example, if we think of the NHL, uh, the NHL, everybody's making a million dollars, but there's only 2,000 jobs for everybody to go around. And if you're not good enough to play in the NHL, then you don't get to get paid to play hockey. Well, what happens if that happens for copywriters? You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, instead of there being, you know, thousands of copywriters jobs in your city, there might be only 10 or 50 or 100 copywriter jobs. Now, they might pay very well, but now there's just not enough of those jobs for everybody to go around. And that's because of the AI's ability to amplify individuals' productivity. Um, and so we have to really be thinking about, okay, so what do we want these people to be doing as they figure out, you know, that the, the, their career dream is no longer really necessarily available because there's just is not that much work to go around. I don't think it's a coincidence that we're talking about automation and the way that it's going to reduce jobs and that, Paul, you also sit on the board for universal basic income, which I think could be a really interesting road to go down to try to create some opportunity for people that are, no matter what, based on their skills at going to lose their ability to work based on automation, based on AI. I want to get some perspective from you on how you think that maybe a plan like that could work or could be the answer or not to automation. Uh, But we do just have to take a short break. So, Paul, if you'll just hang on the line for a few minutes, we're going to get right back into it. Uh, We're talking with Paul Valley, uh, who's at the Center of International Governance Innovation. He's a senior fellow there and founder and CEO of Tehama. We're talking about automation and could robots inevitably take your job. We're going to get right back into it in three minutes on Chelsea Unshed. 
Are you worried about automation maybe taking your job? Let me know, 780-496-0063, or how have you seen automation in the real world in your daily life? Uh, it's been introduced, as many of us have likely seen, in fast food restaurants. You're probably familiar with going into a restaurant and now using a touch screen to place your order, but there's still a person that's putting that order together and, uh, and bringing it to the counter for you. Uh, in Texas, there's a fully automated McDonald's. Uh, there's an automated cafe in Toronto, and we're likely going to see much, much more of this very soon. Uh, we're talking about it right now with Senior Fellow at the Centre for International Governance Innovation, Paul Vallet. Paul, thanks so much for sticking around on hold. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure, Chelsea. You know, we're talking about the fact that automation will will reduce job opportunities. It just simply will. And one solution for that, and it's controversial and raises no shortage of opinions, is introducing a universal basic income. And I think it's really interesting when I was reading your bio that you sit on the board for universal basic income, or you did. You can clarify for me. But I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how that might work and if those conversations about really implementing something like that could happen here in Canada to help with job loss due to automation? Well, what I love about a universal basic income is that there's already a broad social consensus in Canada that zero is not a functional number. Uh, so, for example, we have Alberta Income Support. Uh, in Edmonton, we have Edmonton's Food Bank. Uh, in Edmonton, we have the Hope Mission. And these institutions exist partly because we know that zero breaks our functioning society, mm -hmm. right? Now, and all of us grew up playing McDonald's, uh, sorry, playing uh, uh, Monopoly. McDonald's on my mind, clearly. All of us grew up playing Monopoly, and we know that if you take away the $200 for pass and go, we know the game falls apart. Mm -hmm. Now, what we want, if we're capitalists, is we don't want the game to fall apart. So what is the game of capitalism? The game of capitalism is the idea that if you work hard, you get ahead. And if you're smart enough to work hard and, and do well, then you can achieve. And in order to do that, you need to go from you know, an int a, a, a junior job to an intermediate job to an expert job, and, and eventually you can save up enough to, you know, raise your family and retire in comfort. That's the dream. That's our social contract. The challenge with this automation is that it breaks rungs on the social ladder, and if too many break at the same time, what you end up with is hopelessness. And people, instead of going back to school or retraining or, uh, uh, or creating their own job opportunities through entrepreneurship, uh, or social entrepreneurship, people have a tendency of just giving up. Now, what we have right now in our society is a very low unemployment rate, but the jobs that are available tend to not be the kind where you feel like you're getting ahead. They tend to not be the kind where you feel like you're uh, uh, achieving and have the opportunity to save. And so we live in a, an increasingly winner-take-all economy. The nice thing about a universal basic income is that it encodes the idea that one of our rights of citizenship is the right to at least having a subsistence amount of income mm. so that we can all, you know, pay a, a modest amount of rent and uh, buy a modest amount of groceries and be okay at the end of the month. It amounts to tax reform. And one of the nice things about it is its universality. And universality matters because what we want is we want to eliminate the stigma of needing this money. And so if everyone is receiving it, whether you're wealthy or poor, no one can complain about everyone receiving it mm -hmm. because it's a universal income. And, and that means that universal basic income reform is, amounts to a, uh, what fundamentally is a tax reform. One of the nice things, um, you know, if, if we think about uh, uh, Alberta's uh, uh, cousins in Alaska, is Alaska has what's called the Alaska Dividend. And the Alaska Dividend uh, does not pay a lot of money. It pays 
uh, about um, from the Alaska Permanent Fund. It pays about 2,500 American dollars a year. Uh, the 2022 amount was 3,200 American dollars a year. Hmm. But what Alaska did is they took their oil income, which is part of the public trust. Every citizen has a claim to the land. Um, they took their oil income and they put it into a permanent fund, and that permanent fund pays every citizen a dividend every year. Um, I think we can do something similar like that, in, similar to that in Canada. And if we were, we would take some pressure off individuals as they retrain. Again, remembering, I think automation is good. I'm a computer scientist. I didn't become a computer scientist because I'm a sociopath mm-hmm. and I'm trying to break society. I'm trying to make the world better with computer science. Automation is good, but, if it, but, it, but what is good in the longer term is not necessarily personally good for every stakeholder. And how do you buffer those individuals so that they maintain their hope and their appetite to work hard and to retrain and to retool and to start a company? Uh, when, you know, what they're facing, the alternative is a, is a society that starts at zero. I don't sure. think we need to start at zero for the, work, for the game to work. In fact, if we make the game start at zero, I think it doesn't work as well as when there's a, uh, something you can rely on. And I think big introductions like automation into the labor market becomes something that's a lot less scary if we have something that is protecting us like a universal basic income. Thank you so much for explaining that, Paul. I think we could probably keep going on this, but that's all the time that I have with you. Really appreciate your perspective. It's a privilege. Thank you, Chelsea. Of course. That's Paul Valet, a senior fellow for the Center for International Governance, Innovation, and founder and CEO of Tehama.